Hey folks, Libba here. This episode about Marie Antoinette is in two parts. Today we present part one with your host Marie Walker and special guest Dr. Suzanne Desson from the University of Wisconsin-Madison who specializes in the French Revolution. Enjoy part one, maybe with some cake or not. And welcome back to Then Again. I am Marie Walker, the Director of Education at the Northeast Georgia History Center. And today I have a special guest for our podcast, Dr. Desan. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Oh, okay. My name is Suzanne Desan, and I am a historian of early modern Europe, especially 18th century France, with a specialty in the French Revolution. And yeah, I, I'm uh, just happy to talk about Marie Antoinette in the context of trying to understand the late old regime, the period before the revolution and the revolution itself. So can you tell us a little bit about Marie Antoinette and introduce her to us before she becomes the Queen of France? Who was she? Marie Antoinette is Austrian, actually. She's the 15th child, the second to last child of Maria Theresa and Francis. Maria Theresa is the, the empress of the Holy Roman Empire and the ruler of Austria, tremendously powerful woman. Marie Antoinette was born in 1755, which means that when she's a young teenager, she's available to be to be married to a, a leading ruler in Europe. And the ruler who's chosen, or the prince, is Louis, the son of the French king, Louis XV. And it will be a, a diplomatic marriage, because Austria and France have traditionally been enemies, but since 1756, they're allies. So marriage marriages of, of royalty in this period are most frequently diplomatic alliances. And the story goes that in 1770, when she was just 14 years old, she was taken to the Rhine River, which divides more or less German-speaking Europe from France, and handed over to the French. There's a myth that she was stripped completely naked. That's not true. She was more or less handed over in her underwear, you know, but she had to put on French clothing right away. And so as a sort of symbol of her becoming French and, and no longer being Austrian. And being Austrian would be a problem for her her whole life. Maybe also mentioned she was pretty. She was not classically beautiful. She had blonde hair, kind of the aquiline nose of the Habsburgs, which is her monarchical family. Family, big lower lip, but nonetheless attractive and a very vivacious and independent-minded woman, as I'm sure we'll talk about. So when she comes into France, is she popular? Are they excited to have this new young person who will become their queen? Or is she just immediately unpopular? No, initially she's popular. People are, are happy about the marriage alliance. It seems, well, a couple of things. They get married, is she and, and Louis, who's only a year older than, than she is. There are some signs on the horizon that not everything is going to go well. If you believe in omens on, on their wedding night, one thing that's important to know is nothing happens on their wedding night. She reports to one of her confidants at court that Louis didn't even kiss her. And that's going to present a problem because as we'll talk about it's going to take seven years for them to consummate their marriage. The other bad omen is that in the festivities in Paris, they're married at, actually at the court in Versailles, but in the festivities in Paris, fireworks are set off and there's a huge crowd at one of the main plazas in Paris. And there's actually an incident, there's some construction there where the crowd is trying to move and 193 people are trampled to death just at the moment when Marie Antoinette is coming into Paris so to visit her people. So that's there's a tragedy right there in 1770. Four years later, Louis becomes comes Louis XVI, his father, Louis XV, dies, and uh, they become king and queen of France. And there's great expectations for them. So initially, things look good, but she's not too good at court politics. 
Yeah. So when she becomes queen, how does she fare? You know, she's very young. Her -hmm. husband, the king, also very young. They have all of these great expectations placed upon them. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? One thing is that at Versailles, there are a large number of court rituals that have to be followed. I've already mentioned one, this reclothing her in the clothing of French of a French person. But Marie Antoinette has has not she she's ill at ease in in Versailles court society and she makes every effort to rebel against that and also to escape it she also has little political education, which is surprising since after all, but as, as a girl, she did not receive the same kind of formal political education that her, her brothers would have received who are, who in fact, three of them do be, end up becoming emperors of Austria. And so she's not very good at reading the political situation. She develops all of these little cliques and personal groupings that cause her to be unpopular amongst some courtiers in ways we should probably talk about. So how did she become unpopular at court? Okay, well, there are a few big factors to consider. One, she's Austrian. So that means she's always suspicious because Austria is an unseen from the French point of view. They're old enemies. So that's an issue. The second thing is that's hugely important is that she is the main role of a queen is to bear a child. And because Louis the Louis the 16th and Marie Antoinette actually are unable to consummate their marriage. Louis XVI has a kind of um, painful condition when he has an erection. I won't go into details, but actually seven years after they're married, Marie Antoinette's brother, who is then emperor of Austria, Joseph II, comes to Versailles and talks with Louis and Louis undergoes a small procedure, which then enables them to consummate the marriage. So that's hugely important. But during those seven years, there's a kind of talk about, and of course, Marie Antoinette is the one who is blamed because people don't know what's going on. And for example, the, the market women of Paris who are supposed to be the ones who do traditionally march out to Versailles and welcome the birth of a of a new baby born to the queen. They're gossiping about her and beginning to stir up rumors of resentment to her. So her failure to be able to reproduce is actually hugely important. Then the other thing is I, I mentioned that she was not good at reading politics because she likes to have fun. That That is definitely true. She, she begins to develop a group of fellow courtiers. She hangs out with the, one of the king's brothers, with a princess by the name of the Princess de Lamballe, and several others. And the king, uh, Louis the Sixteenth, her husband, gives her this place in Versailles known as Petit Trianon, where she is able to go off on her own and get away from the formal world of Versailles politics. But while there, they're engaged in all kinds of partying that is, of course, expensive. And also, she gives out favors to various members of the court. She doesn't allow other members of the court, including some of the more powerful, traditional, high-level players in court politics. So the first resentments against Marie Antoinette actually come from other courtiers, not so much from the public. And they begin to view her as somebody who's potentially potentially problematic. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. So does the unpopularity of her at court then carry over into the general public, or do they have their own grievances against the queen? Well, especially by the time you get closer to the revolution, resentment of her for expenditure because the French debt is crushing. It's one of the causes of the revolution. That, of course, is, is more important for the ordinary citizens. For, well, they're not quite citizens yet, the ordinary subjects of, of France. But one of the things that happens in 1785, there's an incident known as the Diamond Necklace Affair. And in that incident, there's a young woman, a countess, the Countess de la Mode, who engages in a kind of scam in which she convinces one of the other courtiers, this guy named the Cardinal de Rohan, that she says to him, oh, the queen is looking at you. 
she lusts after you, maybe she maybe she is interested in you. And she convinces the Cardinal de Rouen that the queen is interested in him. And she even fabricates, she forges a note or some notes from the queen and gives them to the Cardinal de Rouen. She hires a prostitute to dress up as the queen and stand in, in the gardens, actually in Paris, and press a rose into the hand of Cardinal de Rouen. He thinks that, that he's having contact with the queen. So finally, the Comtesse de la Motte says to the cardinal, well, you know, the queen, she can't get enough good money from Louis XVI, from her husband. She gets the cardinal to lend money. Finally, she says, you know, she the queen really wants that diamond necklace, that famous diamond necklace. And the Cardinal de Rouen, after hesitating, agrees to put down a down payment for this necklace and give it to the cardinal, to the to the Comtesse de la Motte, thinking that she'll give it to the queen. In fact, the, the Countess de la Motte takes the diamond necklace, gives it to her husband, who breaks it up into pieces, into separate diamonds, smuggles it over to England, where he sells it and uses the money to buy things that aristocrats need, like little tiny items to pick up artichokes and things like that. And meanwhile, the jeweler goes to the king and queen looking for the rest of the money. And it comes out that the king and queen, the king did not buy the necklace for his wife. So then the whole scandal comes out and Marie Antoinette is thought to be involved in this scandal in which the jeweler's necklace was essentially bought under false pretenses and sort of stolen, really. And her name is dragged through the mud with these scandalous figures, all kinds of scandalous figures that I didn't name. And that happens in 1785. And it's an incident which is important for, for two big reasons. One thing is, because the queen is thought to be involved in this, even though she wasn't actually involved in it, it looks as if the king can't really control his wife, which, of course, how could he rule, rule France if he can't control his wife? It looks as if the aristocracy is engaged in various financial scandals of corruption, which of course, some of which is true, but it makes Marie Antoinette look really bad. And the other thing is, since this scandal goes to court in this period of history, one of the ways that people talk about politics is through judicial trials, through court cases. And there's a lot written about it, which undermines the legitimacy of the aristocracy and the monarchy. So the diamond necklace affair is actually very important for understanding sort of the mood of France on the eve of the French Revolution. But it's also important for understanding why popular opinion begins to turn more against Marie Antoinette because she's associated falsely, but she is associated with this with this particular scandal. So that contributes to her, her unpopularity. I believe at this time, this is when the nickname that many people might know, Madame Deficit, starts to come into play. Yeah, in the late 1780s, and she 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 begins to be called that, and then into the revolutionary period, um, she's associated with uh, with the French debt. Then the other thing is, of course, she is famous for her her spending out at Versailles, and initially the resentments about that have to do with the way she distributes resources of the king and resources of the crown to other courtiers. It's it's normal for queens to dress up in very fancy ways, very uh, fashionable ways. She's famous, for example, she has a hairdresser, a character I'm interested in named Léonard Autier, who left behind his memoirs. They're translated into English. It's A-U-T-I-E, his last name, if you're interested in reading them. And he famously invents this form of hairdo known as the poof, which maybe you've heard of a modern version of it, the hedgehog hairdo, where the all kinds of items are piled into the hair of the queen or the aristocratic woman. There's one famous instance in which, you know, you could see, have a flotilla of ships or something like 
like that. But there's one instance in which one aristocratic woman at court has in her hair a mill, you know, a mill pond with a mill turning. And in the mill, there is the, the miller is riding away. The guy is riding away. And inside the mill is his wife having an affair with a monk. So that's a, a fantastic hairdo that's also anti-clerical, anti-aristocratic, even though it's anti-clerical, even though it's in the hair of an aristocrat. I'm not sure it's anti-aristocratic. It's more an aristocratic display of wealth. But Marie Antoinette was, was famous for her hairdos earlier in the early 1780s as part of the movement where she wants to get away from the rituals of the court. One of the things she does is participate in a new form of fashion that turns against the large hoop skirts and the heavy silk brocaded outfits of the French aristocratic women and of course a queen. And with her dressmaker, a woman by the name of Rose Bertin, they take up a new style. They don't invent it, but take up a new style that comes to be known as chemise à la reine, which is a kind of simple muslin de- dress without that big hoop frame structure and with kind of a high waist that, uh, and Marie Antoinette is famously painted in this outfit by um, her court painter, Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun, who's, you know, lots of paintings of Marie Antoinette are done by this woman. She also left a memoir that's very interesting and translated into English if people are interested in reading it. So I can say more about that if you want. Oh, yes. So tell us a little bit more about this simple style. Some might say it's almost peasant-like because of its simplicity. And one of the ways that Marie Antoinette's gets painted, not literally and physically, um, is as a a peasant. As she goes to the Petit Trianon and she plays dress up as a peasant, even though she's like the richest woman in the land. And this, at least after looking back on it from a today's perspective or, you know, post-revolution, it makes her look really bad. Did this really happen? Did this happen often? Because this is one of those legends that surround Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Well, first about the chemise à reine, when the painting came out of her at the the annual Salon of Art, it was uh, seen as kind of scandalous that she would be painted in this fashion instead of in a, at least it was controversial. Some people thought it was great. Other people thought it was scandalous. And the painter will later try to make up for that. A few years later, Vigée Lebrun paints her in a famous portrait uh, with her with her three children, trying to show her as a kind of maternal figure. And there's an empty crib for her baby daughter who has just died. That's a few years later. So I mention this just to say that there is controversy about that kind of dressing, and also that there's oh, there are always attempts to spin Marie Antoinette's image, um, especially to tone down the image. I'll get to the peasant thing in just a sec, but especially to tone down the image of her as somebody who is um, excessively extravagant or who is excessively flaunting of her queenly role. To come back to your question, of course, one of the most famous myths about Marie Antoinette is that she played at being a peasant at this hamlet at the on Versailles, on the on the grounds of Versailles. It's true that near the Petit Trianon, as part of its gardens, there was a, a model farm called the Hamlet. It's still there today. You can visit it, which was it kind of comes out of a few different things. For one thing, there is this trend in the late 18th century, not just in France, but also elsewhere, of kind of celebrating the pastoral life, celebrating a sort of back to nature element on the part of those who, who were who were wealthy. It was also potentially kind of an 
a farm where some um, agricultural, they could show that the king was doing some agricultural experiments, although that's less significant than it's sort of being part of this pastoral term. But the thing is, Marie Antoinette goes to the Petit Trianon and also to this hamlet as a way of escaping what she feels, and you can't blame her, the heavy rituals of Versailles. And there she does dress up in this more informal fashion. Technically, as far as we know, she never played at being, uh, you know, played at being a peasant, played at being a milkmaid. She did take on those roles in a few plays that were performed in the theater at Petit Trianon because the French aristocracy and the French king are very engaged in the theatrical world, especially watching plays, but at times even participating in them out at Versailles. But that idea that she was playing being peasant while other peasants are starving, the first half of that anyway is a myth. The fact that there's famine in France that provokes the revolution is of course true. Um, so there's reason to, to, to resent her extravagance, but she didn't, she didn't really taunt the people by playing at being a peasant. So interesting because there are just so many myths that surround Marie Antoinette and yes. there's so many different sides of her. There's her as the queen, as a mother, a fashion icon, as Madame Deficit. And all of these, these are almost larger than life ideas of Marie Antoinette. But what was her response to this revolution? So this revolution happens. If you can mm -hmm. give us a, a quick rundown of how that happens. I know it's very complicated, but in layman's yes. terms, uh, how does the French Revolution begin? And then what is Marie Antoinette's response to it? Okay. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. Before we talk about that, there's one absolutely. more aspect of her image in the late old regime that I'd like to just bring up oh, because absolutely. it continues into the revolution and expands, mm -hmm. which is pornographic libels of Marie Antoinette. Oh, yes. So if I could just talk about this and then we can move to the revolution. Yes, absolutely. One of the things that happens in politics, yes, during the revolution, but also before during the 18th century is that one way that people are sometimes politically attacked in this period is through sexual portrayals or pornographic portrayals. And there is a whole there are a whole set of libels in the in the in the 17, late 1780s after the diamond necklace affair in which Marie Antoinette is portrayed as being engaged in sort of sexual orgies out say at the Petit Trianon or somewhere in Versailles in which she is perhaps shown in positions with her brother-in-law the brother of the king which of course is totally scandalous with women especially the princess de la, the princess of Lamballe her her closest friend or the Duchesse de Polignac and other French French courtier women. And I mention this because this notion that Marie Antoinette is um, somehow sexually loose actually does not appear to be true. There's one individual whom we'll no doubt talk about talk about in conjunction with uh, the French Revolution, Axel von Fersen, who is an aristocratic figure, a Swedish officer, who he's the one individual who may have really been her lover, but historians aren't sure. But I mention this because the notion that she had lots of lovers and the which is a legacy of this pornographic portrayal of her is also important to, to, to bear in mind. In a funny kind of way, the fact that one of the things that happens in French politics is that the mistresses of the king often have their own political factions and the queen will have her political group who's lobbying for whatever she wants. Maria Theresa, Marie Antoinette's mother, very much wanted Marie Antoinette to be late, uh, lobbying in favor of Austrian, the Austrian alliance. And there are different factions that uh, in the French court, some of which are opposed to the Austrian alliance. Um, and Marie Antoinette is not good at that. But to get to the point about the mistress here, one of the things that's really interesting about thinking about uh, Marie Antoinette's 
unpopularity is that Louis XVI did not have any mistresses, unlike his grandfather, Louis XV, and earlier French kings, certainly Louis XIV was famous for that. And the fact that Louis XVI had no mistress meant there was no female figure who could be blamed in the sort of political, the politicking and factionalism of, of, of backroom politics in the late old regime. So when things get heating up, heated up on the eve of the revolution, had Louis XVI had a mistress, that mistress might have been probably would have been more unpopular than Marie Antoinette and would have taken a lot of heat off of Marie Antoinette. So it's kind of a strange thing to think about. But there was, you know, in, in old regime France, there was literally a position for the official mistress of the queen, uh, of the king, rather not of the queen, of the king. That wasn't the case for, for Louis XVI. So that's just a, a funny thing to, to, to have in mind. Yes, that's a, such an interesting historical what if yeah, that historians yeah, like to yeah. theorize about. <laughs> and also interesting for thinking about her, her unpopularity. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.